Welcome to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. Each week, we interview top experts in physical therapy, pain science, and integrative pain care. You'll learn the most up-to-date information for treating and reversing persistent pain. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Tata. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Healing Pain Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Joe Tata. As always, it's great to be with you. As you have followed along with each episode of this podcast, you probably got the feeling that I'm a little bit passionate about how nutrition can be used to treat chronic pain and other chronic diseases. I have had physicians on the podcast discussing nutrition, health coaches, chiropractors, nurses, and of course, physical therapists all talking about how nutrition can impact chronic pain. But as I reflect back on these 140 episodes, the one thing we have not discussed is how to treat acute pain using nutrition and physical therapy. Well, today we're going to cover that very topic when we talk with my friend, Dr. Carolyn Dolan. You may remember Carolyn back from episode number 25. Carolyn is, of course, a physical therapist who combines traditional physical therapy with nutrition to treat both acute and chronic pain in her physical therapy practice. In 2012, Carolyn was experiencing chronic fatigue, chronic pain, chronic sinus infections, and was overweight. Her journey to better health led her to the world of nutrition and to designing a simple lifestyle program with profound potential to transform people's lives. She now shares that today in her physical therapy practice. On today's episode, you will learn how to treat acute pain and inflammation with nutrition, natural alternatives to pain medication using nutrition and supplements, how Carolyn created an innovative and novel supplement for pain that was missing from the marketplace, and her key pillars to her lifestyle program for pain and better health. You can, of course, learn all about Carolyn by visiting her website, vitakinetics.com. That's www.vitakinetics.com. Now, if you're a physical therapist and you're interested in the how-to of functional nutrition for chronic pain, if you're curious about which diet is best for pain, whether you're a ketogenic fan or paleo fan or a Mediterranean diet fan, or you just want to know how nutrition can be used to modulate the inflammatory response from the gut-brain connection or the gut-joint connection, make sure you hop on over to the Integrative Pain Science Institute and check out the Functional Nutrition for Chronic Pain Certification. This is a fully approved 36-credit CEU course that I designed specifically for physical therapists and other pain professionals so you can learn the evidence behind nutrition for chronic pain as well as the nuts and bolts of how to use functional nutrition in your practice. The course is open today. All you have to do is go to the Institute website and click on the Courses tab and check it out. Okay, without further ado, let's begin with Dr. Carolyn Dolan. Hey, Carolyn, welcome back to the Healing Pain Podcast. Thank you for having me, Joe Tata. It's very exciting to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. I think you were on probably, oh God, it must be over a year ago now, maybe. Um, It was probably in the early days of the Healing Pain Podcast, and we talked about kind of, you know, more um, baseline nutritional influences on inflammation and things like that. Mm-hmm. I know you've been working on lots of new stuff since then. You've been quite a busy bee doing physical therapy and nutrition and pain and working with athletes and everything. So today we're going to talk about treating acute pain in athletes with uh, lifestyle and nutrition, which I think is so exciting because there are PTs out there like you and I who are using nutrition, but there are few, there's few of us. So I'm excited to you know, kind of dig into the, to the weeds with you. Yeah, you know, about absolutely. This a bit. Tell me how you started to kind of like 
let's go way back in time. Let's mm-hmm. like if you think back to when you graduated PT school, what was I guess the paradigm that you were taught then on how to treat acute pain in an athlete? Certainly the acute pain treatment that I was taught about was NSAIDs, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories to control the inflammatory response in that acute pain state and specific movements. We really didn't talk about lifestyle interventions at all related to nutrition or even sleep and rest, nor were we taught about how the brain plays a role in your pain response and how important that was, even in that acute scenario. And so specifically for me then be into my clinical practice, this one diagnosis has come up maybe only a handful of times, and I consider it my canary in the coal mine. They're relatively rare in the whole scheme of things, but in the pain world, they're not rare, was the chronic regional pain syndrome. And I remember specifically having just these few patients where they weren't fitting the presentation I was taught. And sometimes these were incredibly healthy, seemingly otherwise healthy individuals who were living active lifestyles and theoretically doing everything right. And yet they ended up with this chronic pain condition that just leveled their lives. Most recently, I had a mother who was an avid runner raising two kids and she theoretically just had an orthopedic injury and then turned into this chronic regional pain problem. And then she really struggled with her recovery, ended up having surgery. And I started to look into that when I went back to school to get my master's degree in holistic nutrition. This diagnosis continued to be on my forefront because I just felt ill-prepared to not only treat it, but once, how do we prevent it really is what I was looking to is how do we set our athletes up, our active mothers, our everyday athletes, what are we missing that kind of sets them up to be at risk for Mm. this condition? So that's really what catapulted me into that realm. And it really comes down to how we manage acute inflammation. And so that's how I continued. And that's where I did a lot of my research and developed a protocol, a lifestyle intervention protocol to really help with that inflammatory process. So you didn't mention rice in there. I think every like ATC and PT and probably, you know, sports medicine physician, you know, has heard the acronym rice. And like, that's the first thing that people think of when they're injured. And, you know, even, even the lay people now kind of know about that. What's your kind of current view on, on that as far as, you know, the acute injury uh, phase goes? It seems to me that in that acute injury phase, we are always looking at trying to find ways to stop the inflammatory process. And so even rice was essentially designed to try and stop the inflammatory process, just like the use of Advil, Motrin's non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. We're just trying to stop it. And within my research and really understanding the healing process, I realized that there is one specific cell that caught my attention, and that was the macrophage. And throughout all the healing phases, the macrophage plays an important role, even though it changes its role, depending on the stage of healing that you're in. 
And when in those acute phases, that first zero to seven days, following even a mild injury, like a sprained ankle, or even that acute stage after following an intense workout, you know, where you're really trying to build and strengthen your muscles, you're inducing an inflammatory response that we then start to throw things at it, compression, reducing the swelling and stopping the pain with the anti-inflammatories. And we totally disrupt the actual process that is there to help us. And so when I started to think about, when I looked into the chronic regional pain, they're in this inflammatory state of excess. So we had to, I was looking for a way, we don't want to stop the inflammation because then we can't heal, Mm -hmm. but we don't want too much of it, right? Because then we set ourselves up for chronic pain states, autoimmune disorders. There's this sweet spot within the middle where if we can keep a healthy amount of inflammation, then we can actually repair, build stronger muscles, reduce our risk for chronic pain states. And so that's really where I started to look into all those lifestyle components that we weren't taught about in physical therapy school, right? We weren't taught about nutrition and the importance that plays in that inflammatory state, both providing the basic foundation ingredients to heal. Mm -hmm. We weren't really taught about the importance of sleep. So, you know, it's interesting when you talk about rice, probably my favorite part about rice is the implication of rest, because I think particularly in our athletic population, we don't allow ourselves any recovery time or rest time. Often folks are just constantly burning the candle at both ends and the more movement, more movement, more movement. And sometimes what we need is a good sleep, right? Mm -hmm. We just need some recovery time or just a break where we spend time eating nutritious food, uh, maybe meditating and think those lifestyle factors that are so important at simply modulating the inflammatory response. They're not geared towards turning it off. They're all geared towards keeping it in that optimal healthy range. Yeah. It's interesting because some of the challenges you mentioned here that you're talking about, they're not just unique to PT. And in fact, oftentimes, you know, patients are seeing a multitude of different types of physicians before they get to see a, a physical therapist. And the physician hasn't been trained or schooled in any of the things that, that you're talking about. And that can be a big barrier in and of itself because, you know, some of this is an education process. So the, the patients, you know, starting to kind of get their education 101 from the physician and then they get to us mm-hmm. and there's a whole nother education process that starts to happen. So it's interesting how it kind of trickles down. Well, and, and hopefully the more the things like that you're doing with this podcast is getting the information out, not only to other healthcare providers, but really providing information, good information to the consumer so they can begin to help direct their care, that they can go to their doctors and understand the positive role physical therapy has and say, I'd like a physical therapy referral. You know, so it's as much as educating the physicians about our role in this healing process and recovery and prevention, but it might be even more critical at this point, the more we can get this information out to the patient, the consumer, so they can start to ask for what it is that they need, but also incorporate some things into their lives as a preventative strategy. Mm -hmm. It's really about empowerment. 
Yeah, and just kind of continuing with that education um, line there, what does a consumer need to know, let's say, about NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, things like Advil, ibuprofen, with regard to an acute pain and the recovery process and maybe, you know, precautions and damage, you know, things that can be damaging? So the primary thing that I focused on um, in my research for the importance of a specific cellular response for that healing process is the health of that macrophage um, cell. And that cell is proliferated in those early stages of the healing. So that zero to seven days in that acute stage. And so the over the counter medication that we are, it's easily available, but that we use very regularly is the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, like you mentioned, Motrin and Advil. And those specifically focus on decreasing the production of those macrophages in that acute stage. And so as far as healing without those macrophages for the soft tissue healing or bone healing and their transition, if you don't have them present, you know, if your body hasn't made them in that acute stages because you've turned that process off, they're not there to finish up the process in the intermediate and the remodeling phases. So it's really important that we think about, and the main reason people reach for those over-the-counter medications really is because they're scared of pain, right? They want to stop the pain. And in stopping the pain in that way, they've stopped their ability to actually heal from the pain for that particular acute phase. And with the NSAIDs, and although these aren't over-the-counter, but in my chronic regional pain, you know, patient case scenario, the use of opiates clearly is, is also a big problem, particularly as it relates to addiction. And it really does nothing to allow or facilitate the healing process, you know, our natural healing process. And do you see that a lot in like the athletes that you're treating, whether they're weekend warriors, do you see that they're actually being prescribed opiates for pain? Sometimes it depends, you know, particularly, I mean, you've seen back pain patients before and these people feel crippled. You know, they're crawling into the clinic because they just need the right thing, but they often will get opiates because they end up in the ER first before they come to you in the clinic and they hurt their back from doing deadlifts, right? So it's maybe more rare. And I think my, this is a different rabbit hole about opiates, but you know, I think they get more than what they need. You know, that zero to three days for a naive patient is about all you need and postoperatively. I mean, I have a lot of athletes who have torn their ACL and they end up going to get ACL surgery and they end up with this like months worth of opiates when really they just need to be able to get through those first few days. Mm -hmm. So although opiates don't disrupt the macrophage development in those acute stages, as you know, it creates a, a whole host of different problems related to pain and things like that. So. Yeah. Gut health is a big one. Yes. And is there a pattern of eating or nutrition that you recommend for um, patients that you're, you know, athletes <clears throat> with acute pain? Absolutely. And maybe one of the most important things I try to focus on is simply whole foods, naturally gluten free, so that we're avoiding those inflammatory components of processed foods and things like that, and sugars, especially refined sugars. But I do try to make sure that people are eating a serving of protein in those early stages because that's so important to get those amino acids over 
trying to just get those things from a protein shake constantly. You know, that's, there is that in the athletic world, people are very drawn to protein shakes and they certainly have their value and there are some good ones. But as a general rule, I do focus on just whole nutrient dense foods and being sure that people are incorporating a serving of whole sources of animal protein. Are you saying with each meal, basically? Mm-hmm. Especially in those recovery phases. Yeah, because the protein, sure. needs, protein needs actually increase. Yeah, but it's also best to get it from its whole source. Right, because yeah. it's not just the amino acids, but there are other types of... Vitamin B12 and good sources of red meat, you know, the omega-3 fatty acids in, in seafood. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of important components. Yeah. Carnitine, lots of good things that are, that are in uh, mm-hmm. a good healthy piece of protein that's needed during the recovery phase. Let's start to talk into kind of your journey and your exploration of doing some research. You mentioned where you researched into macrophages, but, you know, then starting to say, okay, there's something, there's a missing link here from the episode of care of an acute athlete who has an injury and has pain. How did that all start to come to fruition? Because you did the research, you did the research on your own. It wasn't through like a PhD program or anything like that. Well, I did much of the research on my own, particularly because I had this chronic regional pain syndrome patient sitting in front of me and I needed to like, what do I need to do and why did this happen? Because then I got a couple more and I was like, why does this keep happening? But I have to say personally, it also has to do with whom I'm married to. Um, Not only my line of work, but my husband's line of work. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, we share cases and difficulties and challenges. And we're also both active physically. And so I have um, not only treating athletes, but just watching what athletes are actually doing and how, I suppose I'm not sure I'm exactly answering your question, but it really was a culmination. I wanted to treat my patient in the best way that was going to be the most effective. And I made these connections and then witnessing how within the rest of the allopathic healthcare community, there was this gap where just throwing pharmaceuticals at people and realizing why do they keep coming back? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not solving the problem. So that's not unique necessarily to just me. I think a lot of healthcare providers are, and patients are noticing that. So how, long, so, did you, how long did you research for and, and what did that look like? Gosh, the first CRPS patient I had was 10 years ago is when really this probably all started. So it's been off and on, but really in the past five years, when I had a mother come in to see me recovering from a hip injury. And it really just struck me like these people need to actually get better because they have little people to raise. Right. And I'm a mother myself. So I would say it's in the past five years that I really started to focus my energies on how we're treating acute pain and how shifting our concept of how we're treating the acute pain will do a great deal of not only reversing certain problems, but as a preventative measure, really recover. I mean, really, truly be able to recover. So. So as you start to look into kind of the nutrition and supplementation realm of what was missing, what types of things did you, did you find, did you unearth? Um, what I started to unearth, as you probably have appreciated this, as I went to PubMed and doing all the basic science research, what I had thought was alternative care or alternative supplements that weren't validated in the literature, all of a sudden, 
I was finding just all of this information about vitamin, mineral supplementation, herbal supplementation, lifestyle intervention that was really showing statistical support for improvement in healing, particularly in the orthopedic literature, also the um, dental surgery literature, plastic surgery literature for wound healing. Yeah, plastic surgery is a big one. I mean, there really was, and I was like, oh, this isn't just chiropractors or acupuncturists doing this. There is like some strong support. Yeah, there's a a lot in the um, plastic, I've seen it too in the plastic surgery research. Yeah. There's a lot of, when I I wrote my book, I I came across similar things. I'm like, how interesting, but it makes sense because obviously you're, you're going to a plastic surgeon one because Typically, you're concerned about how you look and you want to be able to yeah. recover fast and you want to recover with, well. with new tissue that is, you know, beautiful and vibrant. Yep. And I'm like, oh, this is so interesting that this is in plastic surgery. But, you know, it's not just an aesthetic part. Obviously, plastic surgery, you know, falls into the realm of, you know, trauma and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's, it's so interesting that that's, you know, informing um, healthcare in a lot of different ways. I mean, and really, that's what tipped the balance for me. That's when I started really becoming more vocal. When I was starting to see all of the literature and the scientific support of something that I really had thought was non-existent. You know, I didn't get exposed to it in school. So, and it wasn't in our journals specifically. Now, I think things are shifting now slowly. Slowly. <laughs> slowly. Slowly the wheels turn in, in the yeah. world, but they are shifting. I think they're shifting <laughs> more, I would say, in the way professionals are thinking before the actual journals are writing about it, which is kind of interesting because, yes. you know, we kind of, you know, when I went back to school in the, when I went to school in the, you know, the mid nineties, it was like, well, the research is going to inform your practice. Mm-hmm. And I believe now we're starting to see because of the internet, because, you know, my podcast and many, many others out there that are talking about these things, it's almost like our practice and our belief system is informing the research, which is really, mm-hmm. which are testing, you know, our beliefs and our theories are being tested in the literature, which is, is interesting. Yeah. You know, and it also makes me think, you know, that this is a whole nother topic that I get on these soapboxes about, but, you know, our, our state boards and our national boards, are they behind? You know, if you're at home and you're in PubMed, which you were trained to, you know, read, read yeah. research with a critical eye, <clears throat> cool. Um, you know what a pilot study is, you mm-hmm. know what an RCT is, you know what a systematic review is, you know what a case, single case yep. design is. So you go into literature now, you start to look at these things. You say, okay, well, it's in the literature, but it's not being taught in school. And we know that there's a huge disconnect between literature, school, and practice. Like that triangle is almost like the Bermuda Triangle to me. Yep. Because- Well, what was it, what's the saying? It takes 20 years at minimum before- from the research or something to validate a significant change to actual practice. I mean, yeah, 20 years, I, that's a long time. And it, I'm finding that it seems like it's probably longer. longer. In yeah, mm-hmm. lo- longer. I mean, you know, I started doing nutrition with my patients in 1998. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not deep nutrition. It was more things like, you know, skip the dessert. Like just yeah. to help people with like weight loss, like super basic, like anyone kind of knows that kind of stuff. Yeah. But even that, you know, wasn't even really, you know, kind of poking in. So it's interesting. But, you know, I think when people like you are starting to delve into things and you're like, okay, we don't have 20 years. This mom has CRPS and she wants to get back to running and taking care of her two babies at home. Like, let's try some curcumin. Let's see what happens. We're not going to hurt the person. Yep. 
chances of you hurting someone with, you know, nutraceuticals or vitamin and mineral supplements is extremely, extremely, extremely low. You're probably more, they're probably more. Your biggest risk is it doesn't change anything, right? I mean, that's your biggest risk here is that nothing changes with the supplement, not that you've injured them by giving them the supplement. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. People are more likely to get injured probably by manual therapy and the exercise you're giving them yeah. versus the, yeah. versus the vitamin. True. But so what types of nutraceuticals did you look into that have shown some support? Well, so it's interesting because I went into the nutraceutical research initially to debunk it. I went in to say, all you need to do is eat well, move well, sleep well, connect. Like you don't need supplements. You don't need it. And what I started to find with things like curcumin, vitamin D3, probiotics, enzymes, vitamin C was this plethora of pain reduction, improved healing, gut healing, calming of the nervous system, all of these things. And I would find all of this support. And I said, well, I just validated the very thing that I thought wasn't necessary. And so what I also noticed as a human behavior changes are very difficult to achieve. You know, there's a lot of habit, cultural shifts related particularly to nutrition that become these big barriers that it's sometimes hard to get buy-ins. And there's addictive tendencies for foods, right? So then you're dealing with addiction with specific foods. And so when I was working on this nutraceutical to say it's not necessary, I realized, wow, it's helping even when they're not changing the lifestyle of folks. You know, they're not, they're not controlling for food and nutrition. They're not controlling for sleep. They're not controlling for movement or what I call connection in the, the brain health. And then I started using the recipe I came up with, like we talked about with these validated components, nutraceuticals, and I would use them as a means to piggyback with certain behavioral changes, particularly in nutrition. Okay, when you take these supplements, you need to eat a nutritious meal with a serving of animal protein, fruits and vegetables and fresh water, right? So I was kind of inadvertently and I could get one meal a day, right? Maybe two, depending on how often they were taking them. And then some people were on board with that and some people would just take the supplements alone. But the thing was, everyone started feeling better for different reasons, right? So I'd still be working on all those important foundational lifestyle medicine strategies, but the supplements really helped support any of those changes, right? Like people would start to feel better and then they would be willing to try some of these other things. And so, like I said, I went into the nutraceutical research initially to debunk that there would be any need for it. And what I found was a plethora of evidence that supports it being a part of the process yeah. of healing, particularly in those acute stages. Or if you think about it, we're constantly in a state of repair and remodeling, just living our lives, right? So we're always have a state of remodeling for whatever reason it is. So it became something that not only would I use in those acute injury states, but that I had folks who were taking it every day and including my husband and I. And we realized that this was just this support to normalize our recovery process, our natural inflammatory process on a regular basis. And if we worked out hard, we upped it a bit, 
right? Just to give us that extra support. You know, if we had additional times of stress in our life, and I've had other patients and clients who have used it very much the same way, they simply feel better and they get more bang for their buck and their investment to their health. Right. So when you're eating, you know, so first, I mean, obviously, there's so many people that just are not eating three meals that are healthy and nutritious. Correct. The fact that you can get them to eat one, right? Okay, I'm going to sit down, let's say for lunch, and I'm going to have a really healthy, nutritious meal per Carolyn's recommendations mm-hmm. with you know a few nutraceuticals that she's offering. Basically, that right there is actually a huge behavior change because if you look at yes. the research, like you mentioned, if you look at the research behind diet mm-hmm. and change, and if you look at the research behind people who actually are have to take like life-saving medications for things like their heart or for cancer, the rates of people being non-compliant with them are huge. Yeah, that's for someone's you know, safety of their life, so to speak. So the fact that you can kind of work that into a plan and make them change is huge. The other thing that I think a lot of practitioners who aren't so well-versed in nutrition is that when you take supplements every day, you're building a metabolic reserve for yourself Mm -hmm. and you're helping your body be more physiologically resilient to what might come up. Meaning if that day you decide, okay, instead of a 20-minute workout, I'm going to do a 40-minute workout today. So boom, you've all of a sudden increased your exercise. Which is an acute inflammatory trauma, right? right? Because you get small Controlled. Little, controlled. Control. Yeah, small yeah. little tears in your muscle. Mm-hmm. Your body has to come in and repair and lay down new muscle tissue. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a small inflammatory process. And, or you've been doing great for the whole year. You've been healthy and you, you, know, you kind of feel great. And then the holidays come and one of your kids is sick, you get sick, plus you have all the holiday like stress of things going on, your body's going to use more of its stores, going to use more mm-hmm. of its nutrients. If it has something to replenish itself with rapidly, both through food and maybe through supplements to support that, it just makes more sense. Yeah. It really allows you to be more resilient through that. And that's, I think that's where the big shift came for me is one, when I sought to research the supplements to disprove nutraceutical use, I found that I then proved that they are supportive even without changing anything else. I saw that it was helpful for shifting behavior, even if it was only once a day, and I would try to get it twice a day, right? That it would help people shift a little bit in providing one minor shift to provide that resiliency and the foundational products that you need, you know, the amino acids and the proteins and the antioxidants and the fiber, all of those things that promote healing, gut health, brain health. And then I saw clinical changes. I mean, I would watch people have full knee reconstructions and use one to two opiates and that was it. And then they weren't taking pain medicine and they would heal up phenomenally well. Or people who were, you know, just doing like you said, they were living their active lifestyle and their fitness routines and they were able to handle the life stressors better. I have one client who's going through just a significant life stress. And it's not one that she can simply remove herself from. She has to sustain this for a while until things get better. Mm. And it's allowed her to basically continue to function without getting derailed. Yeah. I just had this, I just had this exact <clears throat> conversation with a, a PT colleague 
um, who is, who does not integrate nutrition. And we were talking about a client who I have, who again is going through, you know, life problem that we all go through sometimes in life that we all, um, you know, wind up in places that are really tough mm-hmm. and it's affected her sleep mm-hmm. and she's doing everything. She has a healthy diet. She exercises moderately. She keeps a schedule. She's off her phone. Like she's doing everything she really possibly can. Mm-hmm. She meditates in the morning. Like, you know, she's checking off all the major boxes. So I gave her just one. I said, just try one milligram of melatonin before you go to about 40 minutes before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. See, see how that does. And my friend was like, why? You really need to do more like lifestyle education. I said, there's a time and a place for counseling on lifestyle. If you're sitting down with that client and they're like, look, I've done all these things. Yes, thank you. I've done, thanks for, thanks for double checking this for me. I've done those. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, I'm going through whatever it is, a divorce yeah. and it's nasty and I'm not sleeping, which is causing my neck to really hurt. Yeah. And you know, as a clinician, you're putting these things together. It's like one milligram of melatonin for in a, healthy, in a relatively healthy individual who is on any other medications. So you don't have to worry about sleeping like that. It's fine. You know, I think one of our biggest goals, one of my biggest goals is to help clinicians understand that people are coming to you because they're looking for a solution to their problem. They want help. Yeah. We all come to the table with, you know, a bag of tricks that we've been given. Mm -hmm. And now it's your job to like keep adding to that bag of tricks as you become a seasoned professional and then use them in the most effective way, both through research and both through what you see in clinical practice to help your client, which I think you have done, you know, really beautifully. I know you've started to segue that into, um, you know, your own line of nutraceuticals. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that came about? Well, so the original way I was using it was rather expensive to maintain the quality. And I had all the separate pills and a little packet. And so it, it became difficult, both from a cost prohibitive standpoint, from the consumer point of view, but I had difficulty finding a supplement company that could provide the quality I was looking for in the form I was looking for. And so you so put it, everything into, into one pill, so to speak. So I have the five components into one pill because the convenience factor is huge. You're going to improve your follow through with a patient if it's convenient. Yeah. So with this Vitakinetics line of active recovery blend, I was able to work with a company and we got quality ingredients and putting it into one pill. So it's one bottle versus having five or six separate bottles on your countertop. You have one bottle. And in doing so, I also um, am keeping the cost in line with something that I feel is much more doable for for patients. So I'm really excited about that. And I was going to, like I said, originally I I was going into the nutraceutical part to disprove its need. And my goal with this is really to make it available because if it's not available to the athlete, the mom, you know, the dad, the professional working, then you're going to be much less likely to do it if you have to worry about five separate bottles. And so I'm really excited about the Vitakinetics line. And just tell everyone where they can learn more about that. They can learn more about it at vitakinetics.com. I have a new landing page and it will be, the supplement itself will be coming out in 2019. So hopefully within the next one to two months, it'll be ready for purchase to go. I'm just tying up some of those loose ends and getting all of those 
things in line. So great. Congratulations. I know it's, I know it's, you put a lot of work in, so I know it's a lot of work to, you know, take the research, try it out, and then obviously put it in one pill. And you're right. It's very difficult to get certain combinations of nutraceuticals into one pill for Mm -hmm. various reasons. Some of it's based on cost, some of it's based on delivery method. You did a lot of work. So congratulations. Thank you. Let's dip our toe into a little bit of a, a place that might be a little uncomfortable. What's the allopathic community's response been to some of the innovative ventures that you've really have taken on? Well, as I have shared with you in the past, I've done a lot of soul searching with understanding their rejection of it. I had tried to approach my husband's orthopedic surgery group who responded very much so. It wasn't just a no thank you or even a concern about, I was expecting the allopathic community to be concerned with the scientific support and literature. And much like you mentioned earlier, it really seems to be more about a belief system than it does about the evidence-based presentation. And that I wasn't truly expecting. However, I am grateful. I'm working on my gratitude towards that because it really, if I hadn't had that rejection, I wouldn't have been willing or moved to launch it in this vitakinetics form. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been forced into that creative space how can I make this better, more affordable, convenient? Because I just need, I want this available for myself because I use it, right? But also for patients, clients, active athletes, parents. And so with that rejection has sent me on this trajectory that I am, I am grateful for. And that if that relationship with allopathic healthcare ever shifts or changes, I will have something I mean, this will be here. Right. Which right. Is, I mean, it is. It's shifting already. Yes. It's just that that big boat is slower to shift than some of the other ones out there. But I am noticing that there are healthcare providers that have also, in, while I was experimenting with it, saw like a chiropractor here in town who works also closely with a spinal surgeon. They're anxiously waiting for it to be available again because they witnessed how dramatically it helped improve their recovery times. And, you know, I have active athletes in the CrossFit world and the fitness community who are also anxiously waiting because they also have experienced how it's helped them in, in their recovery phase. Cool. I love so, it. So, so it's super exciting, I think. Yeah. So like you said, it's been a challenge with the allopathic community, but I suppose without that challenge, it wouldn't have launched me into... Yeah. And, and I think from, you know, from a business perspective, it forces you to find the pool of people mm-hmm. that are hungry and are looking for that type of solution. They're definitely out there. I mean, they listen to this podcast um, yep. you know, and they follow my podcast and other podcasts like these for that reason, because they've been down certain routes that haven't worked for them. And they're looking for, okay, who out there is looking for new keys to the success that all of us wish to have as far as like our health and vitality goes. And one of the things that your podcast does for folks is really give them reliable, solid information. Because in that athletic supplement world, there is so much stuff out there and available to consumers that is not beneficial. You know, so it's nice to have resources like your podcasts that people can listen to and really get solid information. Great. Thank you. So if you want to check out um, Carolyn's products, you can go to vitakinetics.com. That's vitakinetics.com. 
I'll link to it in the show notes. So you can either Google it now or you can obviously, of course, go to the podcast page at drjotata.com. You'll find the podcast there and you can kind of, everything that Carolyn spoke about today, including that link will be on the podcast there. I want to thank you, Carolyn, for joining us a second time on the Healing Pain Podcast. We'll have to have you, maybe we'll come back in another year and yeah. a few months and give us an update on how the whole Vita Kinetics um, line is going and some more success stories. If you're a practitioner or if you're someone obviously with pain, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever your favorite social media platform is. We appreciate you sharing this. Hop onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. If you're new to the podcast and you enjoyed what you heard today, you can go to drjotata.com forward slash podcast. And in the upper right-hand corner, there's a box where you can enter in your name and your email address. And I'll send you the latest great podcasts like this one to your inbox absolutely free each and every week. Okay, I'm Dr. Joe Tata. It's been a pleasure being here with you today, Carolyn, and we'll see you next week. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Healing Pain Podcast with Dr. Joe Tata. To subscribe to the podcast and learn more, visit integrativepainscienceinstitute.com. That's integrative pain science institute.com sign up to receive weekly updates leave a review on itunes and share this episode with your friends